Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. All right, Charles can't answer this because I already told him the answer to this. Who can tell me the saint, the name of the saint that is venerated as the thief on the cross? Demas? Demas? Is that the other one? No, Dismas, you're right. Demas or Dismas is venerated in the Catholic Church as the thief on the cross. Fun fact. Ten points to Brit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. We are talking about... Today, you will be with me in paradise in this series to tell us die. And for all our listeners, it actually says in the notes right in front of me, the repentant thief venerated as St. Dismas. <laughs> Did you cheat? So, <laughs> I don't. I actually didn't know that, but then I just oh, looked down and saw his yeah. name. I thought, how convenient. Uh, and then, Thanks for preparing. Yeah, you're, right. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> and, and there's a name. Like get, I've looked at these questions ever. Many times. Many, many, many times. Uh, the, the unrepentant thief is also named. In, in tradition as Gestus or Gesmus. So, yeah, interesting. Anybody wants to Google that? Have fun. Have fun. Which is more evidence that church people can make up some stuff. That is it. so true, man. Give them names. That's, That's so it. true. So, I want to ask this question. Um, Charles, why do you think Jesus was crucified along with two others? Is there, do you see a symbolism? Do you see a numerological significance there? What, what do you think? <laughs> Sometimes I think I get questions above my pay grade. This is probably one of them. I don't know. All I know is that Scripture says that there were two. What I do know, which was interesting tonight, you were, you were talking about these two guys, and I had thought this, but I'd never been able to put it together. I mean, the two of them are criminals, thieves, whatever, whichever gospel you're reading, however it describes them, but the one guy is really angry. Matthew says they're both angry, but and Luke, one of them is really angry. Mm-hmm. And I think you said this tonight, that, that, that Barabbas may well have been with them. Yep. You know, they're mutinous traitors, rebels against Rome, probably, probably led a rebellion. And so I can understand the anger of the, the one guy's like, dude, we're hanging up here. And the one that led us just got let Scott free. Right. So it does kind of give some, some, I don't know if that's true or not, but it does give you some idea as to why he's so mad. And then the beautiful, we'll get to it, but the beautiful transformation of the the other thief. Do you think that he would have been a zealot, like strictly anti-Rome in his, in his criminalism? Or? The actual Greek means insurrectionist. I just didn't use that word because of all the political buzziness of that word right now. Mm. But that was it. It was a uh, government overthrower mm-hmm. or violent robber is one of the... Mm-hmm. This guy killed people. These The criminals, including Barabbas, killed people, mm-hmm. probably trying to overthrow Rome. Mm. And so I don't... There's lots and lots of commentators that think these three... You know, they had three crosses. These three were going to be on trial. Jesus was also going to be on trial. Mm. And they were probably a part of it. Because the, the words used to describe Barabbas are similar to the words used to describe the other two mm-hmm. thieves on the cross. Mm. So the middle cross was Barabbas's cross. Very well Most covered. likely. Yeah. Very Which well gives an even fuller meaning to we are Barabbas. Right. Part of the way Rome would torture you in preparation for crucifixion. I mean, obviously we know about Jesus's torture, but we have no inclination that they flogged everybody all the time. 
that they went through the crown of thorns all the time, that a lot of that was done by their hands in fulfillment of prophecy right? Um, and in select cases. Um, but one of the things that was pretty common practice was that they would fashion the wood and they would fashion the nails in front of you that they were going to use mm. to kill you. So while you were waiting, mm. that's just part of the emotional and mental torture of it all. You know, <laughs> Rome, they didn't mess around, man. You, you rule one and a half million kilometers hmm. for 1,500 years. Let's just say you know how to exact your version of justice pretty and the, well. the sign over Jesus' head, that was typically what they would put up there is what you were dying for, what the accusation was. Hmm. This is totally Pilate taking a shot because, you know, he's hmm. like, oh, so his crime is he's the king of the Jews. There's not even one. Hmm. I think You know, it's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he, he doesn't get to abdicate responsibility for that, even though he washed his hands. That doesn't matter. You don't get, get to wash your own hands. That's the thing. Dude, I was, we were, no, this is before I went with y'all. First time I ever go to Pilate's Praetorium, where you talked last week about where this book came from, and, and okay, it's the first time I ever go. You know, it's very heavy. It's very overwhelming. It's And it's also, they build up like a whole city over it, so it's extra dark in there, and you see the mm-hmm. things. And, I mean, it's, a, and I'm sitting over in the corner crying, and then this is very inappropriate. I'm not going to say all the words. But then this German guy comes bebopping in because he's just like checking the sites. Like he's just got a tour map. It's like, oh, I'll go to this spot. And, he's, and, it, and he just sits down so abruptly that I look at him and uh, he's on this bright yellow shirt with like a happy face except the eyes are X'd out and it says, another word for crap, crap happens. That's what it says. And I thought, well, isn't this ironic? Because... <laughs> The worst thing on the planet ever is in the spot. And this yeah. guy, you want to talk about totally missing it. He kind of comes, he doesn't realize where he is. Mm-hmm. He's got this goofy shirt on. Mm-hmm. He looks at his pamphlet for about two seconds. And then he ups and he leaves. Mm. Wow. It's a little bit like these. Same evidence. Mm-hmm. Long- the, day, the day before that, we're sitting at the Jordan River. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're this sitting is, at the, we're sitting this is the, why we didn't go to that spot because of this event. There's a couple places you can go to the Jordan River. One is uh, kind of right next to the, the West Bank in Jericho. And the other is m- more in Jerusalem. Like, and, and we were at the West Bank site. Yeah. And the water's a lot muddier down there because of where it's located in the river. Um, but there are specifically Franciscan tra- traditions they believe that that's, that's more likely the site where Jesus baptized John than others, you know. And um, so anyway, we're there sitting at the river and reading the text. And uh, I won't go into all the details, but these two men from some other country, very large men, come and they can't be six feet away from Joby and I. This can't be six feet. They turn their backs to us and just start derobing <laughs> right there at the edge of the Jordan River. There's like 150 people out there, right? One of them is, I kid you not, one of them is wearing Bart Simpson underwear. <laughs> and he's standing six feet in front of me at the edge of the Jordan River. And I'm just like, I don't know if this grieves the Holy Spirit, but he gone, man. Like, we might as well just get back in the bus and get out of here. Like, you know what I mean? I'm, I must so, decrease. He must decrease. Anyway, another saga in the story of Israel. Good luck recovering from that one, yeah, Jonathan. You're welcome. 
uh, if you watch The Chosen, uh, it brings many things to life, but one of the things, one of the disciples is called a zealot. And that would have been similar to the insurrectionists, right? And so, um, you know, the they capture through that that show the risk that they were taking by plotting that sort of overthrow of Rome. So it's I had I'd honestly never thought about the connection there between Barabbas and and these two guys. Um, so let me read this other verse here. This is from Hebrews thirteen. Okay, the bodies of the animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. So you talked a little bit about this last week, Pastor Joe, about the place that they were going to, mm-hmm. the place where Jesus was crucified. So why, why is it significant that it was outside the city that it, and, and where it was? From a from a Roman point of view, what they're trying to do is kind of thread the needle in a in a very totalitarian way uh, between we're in charge as long as you people will just not be disruptive. Mm-hmm. So, what it, what seems to be happening, where well, you see evidence in the Gospels, are Rome would let the Jewish people do a bunch of Jewish custom stuff as long as they said Caesar is Lord, and didn't riot and things mm-hmm. like that. So <clears throat> I could totally imagine that the Jewish leaders were like, all right, you can crucify people, but you cannot do it within our walls because our scripture says you can't. Mm. The Romans, Romans like, okay, whatever. We'll just do it right outside of that gate. Mm-hmm. That has a lot to do with it. I think what's going on in, I think when, a part of what Jesus is doing, because he is a new and better covenant, is that this this sacrifice made outside of the gate is for all people, not just the people that live inside the gate. Mm-hmm. Or in other words, not just the Jewish people, but for every tribe, tongue, and nation. Mm-hmm. When Jesus talks about Gehenna, you know, he's he's talking about hell, but there is also a place outside of Jerusalem, correct, where there was like a trash dump where, where things were burned. And would, would that have been near this? That would have been like... Um, you know when we go to Caiaphas's house and mm-hmm. we walk out on that place and to the left you can see the you see the Mount of Olives. Mm-hmm. If you look down to the right, that would have been Gehenna. Mm-hmm. And then around, if you wrap it around the corner, you would get to there. Yeah. And oftentimes they would take the bodies from Golgotha and it's just kind of a downhill mm. slope to get to Gehenna. And <clears throat> What Jesus is saying, Jesus would give, I mean, he's the master teacher, and we serve this like tactile God. Think of all the seemingly random things God makes all the Jewish people Mm -hmm. do with robes and knots and all that. It's because they couldn't walk around with this thing, Mm -hmm. the Bible, if you're listening. And they didn't have, they didn't even get copies of the scrolls. Like only the only the Mm -hmm. priests had the scrolls. So Jesus was using this very tactile thing. He's he's saying, You want to know what hell's like? You ever been into the trash heap? And there's maggots, and it, it it burns but never goes out. And there's gnashing of teeth, and there's vultures. And he's like, it's like separation from God. Mm-hmm. It's like that. Mm. Yeah. So there's just so much s- symbolic s- symbolism there. And Charles, you you and I were talking this week actually about rejection. And so I think part of what the author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus suffered this rejection and to follow him is to follow in that path of like to be an outsider, you know, on, on the path towards salvation. 
And that sermon that you referenced from Alistair Begg, he's talking about the weakness of the cross. He's preaching from from Corinthians about the 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 foolish message of the cross. And so so much of this is is just absolutely you said this tonight, Pastor Toby. Nobody would have thought, oh, that's the Messiah right, right. there. The you king. Know? Yeah. No way. <clears throat> There's also um we we typically we look at us, four of us, evangelical Western Christians. We, I think, primarily look at what happens at the cross, primarily through the lens of penal substitutionary atonement, which is right. Um, but that that's uh, that's primarily about debt, debtor, paid in full. There's also a shame angle that we don't really look at that much. Mm. Colossians talks about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So from an Eastern mindset, they would— they would see way more he took our shame as much as paid our debt. They're describing the same thing, mm-hmm. uh, just using some different words or some different angles on the same reality. Mm-hmm. So that's a big part of what Jesus was doing mm-hmm. in a shame-honor culture. Yeah, and Charles, you write a lot about this in your book, but um, the fact that he was shamed. You know, you, you see the portrayals, and he's clothed, and he's probably more put together than than he would have been, but— Talk a little bit about the Theologians shame. Theologians talk a lot about the exchange, you know, of, of the, and they, they've come up with eight or 10 of them that are the primary elements of the exchange. He took our death, gave us his life. He took our rejection, gave us his acceptance. He took our sin, gave us his righteousness. So that there's the exchange that occurs. But one of the beautiful things he takes from us is our shame because mm. it's what the enemy likes to use to whip us around. Mm. Because if the, if the enemy can grab the handle on our back that's attached to our shame, he can mm-hmm. control a lot about us. Mm-hmm. So a, a lot of a lot of times when I've a lot of times when I've prayed with folks and they're wrestling with shame from sin and it's it's like they're ashamed. Well, I get it. I've been ashamed too. Mm-hmm. But Jesus wants that. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want you to keep it. Right. You 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 talked about this tonight with that with that lady who 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 wrote the letter and and I know because you shared me the the letter. And in one sentence in that letter, and forgive me if I'm stealing your thunder, but she says, if Jesus Christ is not the solution to the problem that is mankind, there is no solution. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful letter from death row. It's incredible. But, but the, the, it's a, the, the, the exchange for the shame thing was, was and is a real deal. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus was totally shamed. He was not clothed. Wasn't a, that's why the women stayed at a distance. The only woman to come close was his mama. So no one understands shame deeper than Jesus so that when we bring that to him and we walk back to the cross and we lay down all of our sin and all of the shame that the enemy wants to lasso us with as a result from it, Jesus takes that too. And he's not ashamed of us in the same way he wasn't ashamed of Peter on the beach. After his resurrection, he sits down with Jesus with Peter and serves him fish and says, hey, buddy. You love me? Mm-hmm. And feed my sheep. Mm-hmm. Says it three times. I've heard mm-hmm. this taught where it's, you know, I've heard people say this this fire and brimstone thing where Jesus is poking Peter in the chest. And I don't believe that's the way. That's not Jesus. And I don't, I'm, maybe I'm outside of scripture, but I don't think that's what happened. Mm-hmm. I think Je- Jesus sat down next to his buddy. He put his arm around him. And probably the third time he said it, he probably pushed his forehead up next to Peter's and said, hey, buddy, you love me? Mm-hmm. And Peter can't even look at him. He's so ashamed. And he says, just feed my sheep. And then he says the thing that Peter's been waiting to hear. Hmm. 
I mean, if there are two words that Peter has shamed, because he denied Jesus, that's a pretty deep shame. If there are two words that Peter needs to hear, it's Jesus, follow me. And then praise God, Peter does. And we read shortly thereafter, Acts 2. The author author of Hebrews says elsewhere, I was looking for it, but therefore he's not ashamed to call them brothers, Mm -hmm. you know? So God's not ashamed of you. Jesus is not ashamed of you because because of what he's done. Um, Were you looking at something you wanted to share? Well, just in Colossians uh, 2, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Mm -hmm. So it's like... The enemy tries to shame Jesus and gets shamed mm. with his own scheme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pastor Britt, that's we just did a little mini word study, right? So let's just say somebody's out there is like, I think I have a shame issue. Like, how would they go about identifying all the places, like the, the few scriptures that we've just mentioned, you know, to try to find that remedy for what they're going through. Well, I think the remedy is the message is was in the message Pastor Jebby preached tonight, which is the the remedy to sh- to shame is grace, mm-hmm. and and so I think the the key text on grace, you know, Romans three, Romans five fifteen, you know, uh, Ephesians two, that these are the key text on grace because. In the same way that you didn't bring anything to earn it, you don't have anything strong enough to keep you from it. And so shame, even though you're ashamed of a thing or you have shame in the past, that shame is not stronger than the grace of God. It's just not. Mm. And so, I mean, those are, those are, is that the question you're asking, the key text? Well, no, I just mean like, it's a good answer. So, uh, but I also meant like, what if somebody wanted to do a word study on uh, on about shame? You know, how how would they go about that? A thesaurus. Yeah, I mean, there's there are. I'd have to go. I'd have to go and look. There are quite a few great sermons preached out there mm-hmm. uh, around the idea of shame. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan Kwan's got a great sermon. Mm-hmm. I'd have to go look it up on on shame, mm-hmm. the devastating impacts. Yeah, uh, she's not a believer. That I know of, she may be. So if she is, forgive me, I don't know. But Brene Brown did a TED Talk on shame. Mm. And if you put the gospel in the middle of that thing, it's pretty, pow- it's, yeah. it's pretty powerful stuff too. So uh, I don't have a very direct answer to your question other than you don't, wouldn't have to go to look very far. Yeah, There was a guy at our church that made an app when I was talking about taking off the old and putting on the new and identify the lies and mm-hmm. replace it with the it is written's. It would be much help, more helpful if I could tell you what the app is. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes. Bondage, I don't even know what that means. Bondage Breaker by Neil Anderson. Oh, yeah. That's is where it, my big list. Book. Mm. When I do that big rant list all the time, that's yeah, where I stole yeah. it from. Yeah. But I give him credit. Yeah. But, so the, but in this app, honestly, BibleGateway.com, mm-hmm. just you could put in shame in every verse that has yes. shame on it. Yeah. It will show up. 
pretty much any question you've ever had about anything, go to Desiring God, and Dr. Piper has probably mm -hmm. had something to say about it, and yep. it's probably the best thing you've ever heard in your whole life. Mm -hmm. Desiring Shame, though, God is the number one Christian search engine in the world. Is it you really? Well, it should be. Thank God. I heard that. Finally I heard that from a reliable right. source. I haven't seen the data, but mm -hmm. I believe it. I believe you. Um, <clears throat> shame's not altogether a terrible thing. I mean, if, if it... I think it can be the beginning of conviction of sin, mm -hmm. um, but you can. It can be like doubt. You can wallow in it to the point where it drowns your faith. Mm -hmm. We have shame because it's uh, when we do things we didn't think we would do. Like we let us down. Mm. Well, you you can't let God down. Yeah. Like He knew everything that He that you were gonna do. And this is the gospel. You have to teach yourself, preach to yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. I know it's a goofy illustration, but God ran the Carfax on you and was mm -hmm. not surprised that you're busted up in leak oil. Mm. He knew it and paid the price of his son to purchase you. So when it finally comes out that you whatever, mm. well, that's like past tense for God. He's mm -hmm. already died for that sin and loved you in spite of it. Mm-hmm. And so that, so what you do with your shame is not act like it's not that big a deal. It's even a bigger deal than you're ashamed of. Yeah. You just bring it to him, mm -hmm. and and he he takes beauty out of ashes. I mean, that's what that means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just want anybody out there who might be new to Bible study to know that a great way to get into your your Bible and study it is to, I mean, I think a lot of people might follow a reading plan or they might go chronologically or something like that, but a fascinating way to study your Bible is to, find all the verses on anger or find all the verses on lust or find all the verses on shame and to watch how they all connect and what they all say. So lots of great tools out there to do that. Uh, another great word you talked about, Pastor Joby, is the word favor. You were talking about this thief on the cross asking Jesus for a favor. And and so let's talk about that that word. The, are, the, are those words interchangeable in some places in the Bible, favor and grace? Is that true? Or am I definitely, definitely in as much as it's like unearned, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when, you know, like when, when the angel says to Mary, mm -hmm. God's favor is upon you, mm -hmm. it's, it's not because she earned it. Mm -hmm. Like God picked, yeah. you know, it's out of his grace. Yeah. And, and I think it worked. Part of the reason I spent time on it is because we get what that means. Mm -hmm. Like if I ask you for a favor, what you're saying is, you don't owe me this. It, like, if I ask you to come to work on time, that's not a favor. Right. Because you don't get paid by grace. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You get to earn your wage. Mm -hmm. That's not a favor. A favor is, you don't owe me this, and I'm going to ask for something that you don't have to do. Mm -hmm. And that's the language we use colloquially as in English, so that's yeah. why it really works. Like yeah. that's what. Think about that. You're asking, hey, God, can I get a favor? You don't owe me this. Mm -hmm. Can you remember me today when you go before your father in your kingdom? That's the key, man, dude. to the thief on the cross. feels like it was missed for like 100 years in understanding of the thief on the cross. But what? it's the fact that he says it's your kingdom. Yeah. In that sentence, he is acknowledging you are the king. Are That's the right. King. Yeah. <laughs> I did not. I read. I read that. Ch I cheated. I, I confessed in church tonight. <laughs> I'm sitting in an airport in, in Oklahoma City this morning, and I've gotten the majority of the sermon written, but I'm reading through. And in, like I was going to do my devo, I had to get up so 
early, and I'm trying to. I'm reading day by day. But I also have this need out there that I've got to preach on the thief on the cross, and so I'm like, I'm surely Charles has something. This I have never paid attention that he says your kingdom until mm-hmm. that chapter. I mean, it's incredible, man. Yeah. So I think it's day 32 or something yeah. that you'll get to. And he says, do you, do you not fear God? You know, when the other yeah. thief is round against Jesus. We're says, getting what we deserve. Yeah. Um, and I've heard, Charles, I've heard this phrase before that people might throw around. Uh, I guess that's just a favor of God, you know? So w- what does that mean? Is that the same thing as living in the grace of God? People might say that like, oh, I'm just blessed, blessed and highly favored, Right. So, what is, what are people saying when they say that? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Let me can, before I before I answer that, can I circle back to the shame thing? Yeah, yeah. Because you, you you got me spinning a little bit on it. And here's my thing with shame. Shame is the silencer of us men. Mm. It just is, because we all don't want to admit the things that we do that in our eyes cause us to not measure up with one another. Hmm. So one of the things that I think is beautiful, y'all, y'all know me, you know, these, I, I've, I've done life with a group of guys for a long time. I do life with you guys. You all, you, the three of us have had these prayers. We have confessed our sins to one another. But I learned this, or I'm now 54, I learned this 20 years ago. In, in getting with men, men hide in their shame and they don't say anything. And then if, if, if the, the somehow God in his favor or his grace bestows his spirit upon us and the spirit of truth shows up and somebody risks opening up their closet door mm-hmm. and turning the light on in their basement and says, this is all of the stuff that I'm ashamed of and I don't want you to know about me. Mm-hmm. And they confess it and they speak it out loud, it Mm -hmm. transfers that shame out of the kingdom of darkness Mm -hmm. and places it in the kingdom of the son of his love because now we've shown light on it. Mm -hmm. And and in my experience, it's like you can hear chains breaking. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's freedom that comes as a result of that. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I'm just sitting here thinking, we're talking about the remedy. I would, if, if shame is eating your lunch, Grab somebody that you can trust. You got some James 5. So, because I think that <clears throat> confession is a tool that God has given us, but I think the real power when we confess our sins to one another and the reason the shame can go away, for sure you put it in the light, but then if you're the confessor and you got, if I'm the confessor and you guys are my brothers and I finally admit the thing that I'm so ashamed of and you say, yeah, you're still our brother. Yeah, and you also realize that we all share the same basement. We right. just have different stairwells down to it. But when you click on a light, they all look the same. Mm-hmm. And you cannot be fully loved without being fully known. Yeah, and so that's what you're saying. So, man, man, warts and all, we love you. We're for you. That's not good. And we still are going to walk this through. Yeah, I think there's... Have you ever been in the place where someone pointedly puts you to a question about an action or a, pre- a previous action or something that you may not have lied about, but you were less than honest about, you know what I'm saying? And, um, and you have that moment where they're asking you directly to your face, you know, whether it was a time with your parents or whatever, you know, uh, time in your marriage, uh, 
where the question's coming at you and you are on the other side of that question and you are thinking, I got three choices here. One, tell the truth. But with that comes a heck of a ton of pain to my ego and ownership of this thing that I probably wish didn't happen and I certainly wish you didn't know about, right? Two, dance. Let me just dance around a little bit. Let me see if I can jam you up on with words. Three, lie. And I think that happens in true brotherhood relationships. Uh, I guess I would rather say I don't think it happens in true brotherhood relationships enough Mm. where you look each other, you have the kind of brothers that you can look them in the eye and you can just be like, tell me, tell me again, or hey, help me understand. And they're on the other side of an honest question and they got to decide to be honest in response. You know what I'm saying? Um, That's the beauty of, James 5 and what should be and could could be true familial relationships. Like my brother knows he can call me anytime. Mm-hmm. And he could say, hey, I got it. I mean, he used to do this to me all the time back in the day. I mean, the worst trouble I ever got in is my brother would hear about stuff that I was doing on the weekends. And then he would come, he'd hear about it at school the next week and he'd come home and he'd be he'd shut the door and he'd be like point his finger at me. He's two years older than me and he'd be like, "You better tell me what you did." I heard da 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 da. One time, my dad hears him getting on to me through the door. My dad comes storming in. Oof. Next thing I know, and I'll be honest with y'all, I just lied to all of them. At that, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was sixteen. I just lied to everybody. I had a choice and I made a bad one. Yeah. But I do think that that's that's so much the. Anyway, I think that that's so much the freedom and the currency of grace-based relationships is that you regularly find yourself in conversations that are pointed where you have a choice to make, you know? And if you make the choice one time, to Charles's point, one time to confess sin and to bring it into the light, you almost can't wait to do it the next time. Like the amount of freedom that you will experience when you step mm-hmm. out under the weight of shame mm-hmm. is is so enticing and intoxicating, the freedom. But you got to do it the first time, you know? So <clears throat> I'm going to give credit where credit's due. I spent this week with Kyle Thompson with Undaunted Life doing a bunch of stuff. And we were filming a podcast that'll come out at some point, And he said this, and, and he just said it so eloquently. The worst thing you can do is try to invite this is true for men and women, but we're men. Is to invite some men into your life and say, Vinky, I'm inviting you to hold me accountable. If you see a speck in my eye, if you see me heading over the cliff, I want you to, you know, do the thing you're talking about. And then the first time the brother loves you enough to say, Hey man, I saw this. I saw the way you talked to your wife, uh, whatever the thing mm-hmm. is. And you come with defense then what are you doing? What are you doing? You're actually ruining the thing you're trying to create. Mm-hmm. The thing you better do, even if they're off in there, even if they're a little misguided, mm-hmm. is to just receive it mm-hmm. as the kindness of God that will lead you to repentance. Mm-hmm. Both of the mm-hmm. testimonies tonight of the folks getting baptized, they come out of 
They came from Catholic background. And so this would be another example, I think, of of throwing the baby out with the bathwater in the Catholic tradition because, you know, I think in in that tradition, it takes it too far where you're looking for absolution. Mm-hmm. And so then the, the person who walks away and says, oh, no, it's just faith alone in Jesus might say, I never have to confess to anyone ever. But I think that's that's going too far the opposite direction because it, the, the, to confess to one another exactly and the Bible what the Bible say you'll be healed that's right not not forgiven not say, but healed and not cured exactly but healed yeah whole yeah so bring it out into the wow it's it's so powerful and another connection I made before I move on from the favor thing uh, which, I, which I never answered but that's all right it's <laughs> fine it is God's favor yeah I, I joke on it when I'm like blessed and highly favored. Yeah. But you have to you have to know, man. Everything good that you have in your life is because of the favor of God. That's right. He is the source of good. Even I don't know who would be listening to this that doesn't believe in God, but even the atheist mm-hmm. that eats hot food, lives indoors, and gets to breathe air conditioned air, it's the favor of God mm-hmm. upon that person. I mean, the Bible says you know, it grace, rains yeah. on the on the yeah righteous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that's it. It's that. It is God's favor. Yeah. I mean, your whole life could just be the life of Job. This is back to the parable I, I used, uh, Matthew 20, mm-hmm. when he's like, are you trying to say I can't do with mine what I want? Mm-hmm. Well, everything is his. Yeah. The sunshine, the rain, the you know, mm-hmm. the fact that you have breath in your lungs, that's the favor of God. Yeah. And we get asked that question, and you've talked about it many times, you know, what's what's the secret sauce? What's going on with 1122? You could just say, it's the favor of God. That's it. Like it's God showing favor to exponentially bless mediocre effort, you know what I mean? And bring results that are unexplainable. But the thing that I was going to say is that you said the thief on the cross asked Jesus for a favor. And another thing that I've heard you say is that you're not really somebody's friend until you ask him for a favor. That's true. And I thought about, I think we talked about this last, last time, but Jesus said, I, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. That's right. And so to ask him for his ask him for a favor is to step into friendship with him. I thought that was such a cool thing that the Lord brought to mind. Um well, we talked about the difference. Oh, you said a lot tonight, we think we bring merit. And that's not a word we use a lot. So let's unpack that a little bit. What does that mean when somebody thinks they bring merit to the equation? So the definition of grace is also often unmerited favor. Mm -hmm. But merit is like credit, accomplishment. I have something to bring, Mm -hmm. and I'm just telling you that is what we tend to think about ourselves, Mm -hmm. especially in comparison to the way we look at anyone else. Mm -hmm. Like the letter that I, a part of the letter I wrote, I mean read, ladies on death row in Texas, dude, you get into the guts of this one. It's terrible. No pun. Mm. Brutal. She fakes like she's pregnant for eight months. This other lady she knows is pregnant. She murders the lady, rips, cuts the baby out, and then is going to act like it's her baby. Gets pulled over by the highway patrol. She's got a dead baby. And she's like, yeah, I just had it. But it was all, a, it was a double homicide. Mm. Okay. The thing in me that that is like and she get, she can be saved that that's cuz i think i'm better than her mm. that's not okay that's the that's what i'm talking about so whatever whatever cable news you're a part of okay mm. 
the groups of people that they show that they want you to have disdain for. Yeah. And the moment you look at them, so if you're a CNN person and they show the January 6th crowd, and you're like, how dare they? Mm-hmm. And if you're a Fox News person and they show the, the, the wall, the border, and you're like, what are they doing? Okay, bro, that is what I mean. Mm-hmm. That is like, I would never because I'm better. The, that whole parable about the tax collector and the Pharisee praying, mm-hmm. anybody that thinks a little too highly of themselves and with any condemnation towards anybody else, we are the Pharisee in that parable. Mm-hmm. There are very few of us that are the tax collector that beat our chest and won't even go down to the altar because we don't think we're worthy. So we just mm-hmm. sit in the nosebleeds and just say, God, have mercy on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing about the Pharisee's prayer is that he prays to God. It's theocentric. He says, dear God. Mm-hmm. And he's not talking about some far-off God. He's talking about the the, the God of Abraham. <laughs> he says, dear God, I thank you. So I give you credit for me <laughs> that I'm not like other men. That's what he says. And then he goes on to identify all the ways that I'm not like other men. Would you take that and put in the context of this lady's story and in a salvific salvation-based conversation, if you get to where I'm a little more deserving of Jesus's sacrifice because I haven't done these atrocious mm-hmm. things that this lady has yeah. done. This goes to Meredith. like, it's got two sides to it. One side is I did good, something good. Therefore, it should be rewarded. And I don't think a lot of people would argue that they've done an infinite amount of religious good that merits their salvation, but they will think I've done something good. Right. And so therefore Jesus, because of this good thing I've done, even if it's the good thing I did was pray a prayer. Right. How did you become a Christian? Well, I prayed a prayer. Well, that's a work. Right. So, you know, I got baptized work. Correct. Um, you know, I went through this class. I went through this work, work, work. These are all things that, you know what I'm saying? So you say, I did this good thing, therefore I now worthy to receive. And there's another side of the coin, which is I haven't done as many bad things as, Mm -hmm. therefore there's a better chance for me. And both of these are completely faulty in, in true grace. And so the invitation of Jesus is that you bring absolutely nothing but the sin that makes it necessary that, that Charles said last mm-hmm. week. And it is, it is so scandalous. I was thinking tonight when you were talking about the lady that wrote from, from Death Row, uh, T is what you called her tonight, right? Mm-hmm. And, I just um, want everybody to Google her name while I'm up there talking. Yeah, from, makes sense. I was thinking about that. And you also mentioned the rich young ruler. Mm-hmm. And I just had this like vision in my mind, like a word picture in my mind. Don't get too excited, people. I said the word vision. I just had a word picture in my mind that today it would be more likely that we would debate her salvation mm-hmm. and chase after the rich young ruler and try to get him to come back. Boom. That's a scary thought. Mm. It's a scary thought that we would sit around debating is this woman actually saved? And we'd be more likely to chase after the rancher and ruler and say, no, 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 sorry. We didn't mean to offend you. Come on back. The amount of similarities in her letter and the conversation with the thief on the cross is incredible. Mm. Two full pages was just ownership of the, the, the mental 
internal demonic battle she was fighting and even confessing, I didn't, I'd wake up and not feel like myself and I became the center of everything mm-hmm. and the enemy was trying to tear everything down and then one day I made the worst decision and I just ruined so many people's lives. I mean, it's just, there was no, like I was misunderstanding or it wasn't my fault or if you'd have grown up like I did, there was no deflection, mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. And it was very much, at one point it says... And she's going to live and die under the weight of those... Con- the consequences of those actions. What's crazy is, is that in her trial, she was, she was like, "My life's not worth living." God, would you please give me death row, so that I could be clean? Hmm. And somehow in that, she got to the place where, well, she started watching Eleven Twenty Two sermons on the Pando app and heard hmm. about the grace of God. Hmm. It's incredible. But but a part of what she said is, I want to share my testimony. I want people to know because if God can save a filthy rag like me, that's what she said. He can save anybody. Hmm. So a little um, country theology, you know, typically like country music theology is not good because it's just like the man upstairs. And But Larry Fleet, that's where I find God. Mm-hmm. In the beginning of it, when he's talking about being a drunk on a bar stool, and he says, uh, I didn't feel like I was worth saving, but he saved, saved me anyway. Me anyway. Mm-hmm. That's the humility of the thief on the cross. Hey, mm-hmm. can I get a favor? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not worth it. I... I am condemned justly. Mm-hmm. Would you remember me? Mm. Yeah. Let's go back for a second to confession. And I want to, Charles, speak a little bit about, you have this great way that you talk about when, when you pray about and you confess things to the Lord. It's like, yeah, the Lord, Jesus has shed his blood to pay for your sin. And then something happens in prayer that you can like bring that blood to that current, like to today to today's sins. And I think the language you use is apply that blood to today, even though it's already covered. I want it to get in there and talk about that a little bit. There's a scripture in John, I think, where John says, it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And there's, a, I think, a better translation is, is it continually cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So a lot of times when I'm praying, I'll say, Lord, it's me, I'm back. Here's my stuff. You already know it at all, but let me let me tell you what I'm ashamed of, because mm-hmm. I I am when I come to Him. Mm-hmm. I know better, mm-hmm. and I I try as best I can to to lay out what I know, you know. And then I and then I'm like, Lord, for everything I'm forgetting, or mm-hmm. you know, the truth of the matter is, as a man thinketh, so is he. How many times have I thought murderous thoughts towards someone? Mm-hmm. Makes me no different than this lady, this, you know, lady on, anyway, when I'm praying, what I pray is, Lord, I plead the red, warm, living blood of Jesus over me. And I ask that you would literally wash me in it tonight because it still flows fresh from the cross on Calvary. Mm. It has not stopped flowing. Mm. There may be theological problems with that statement because he did die and I get all that, but. If it continually cleanses me, mm. then that blood is alive mm-hmm. and it is doing a thing. And so I'm just asking him to baptize me afresh and anew in the warm red living blood of Jesus, mm. which washes me whiter than snow. Yeah, there's so, there's so much power in it. Like you just don't want to get to a place where you don't go through those actions of praying it. Like, have you ever heard somebody say, if God already knows it, why pray it? 
You know, he's and, not asking you to pray it for his benefit. Exactly. You come up with some dumb things, man. Like the dumb. Yeah, it's like if salva if your salvation, your life saved by grace in the kingdom of God is the house. You live in this house now. It's your house. He gave it to you. You didn't do nothing to deserve it, but you live in this house now. And but it, it, in the house, you still gonna get hungry, right? You may have actually told me this, and I'm just repeating it. But it sounds good. I don't remember it, but I'll take you. You still get hungry, and this is the idea that I still have a carnal nature that I, I, I still sometimes take the house for granted. I sometimes don't give God credit for the house, and I still live as though I'm trying to make the house better on my own, you know, or I'm I leave the house and um, not leave my salvation, but you know, I sin and I mess up. But I still live in the house. But that's it. I said, there are times where I get hungry in my house. Well, how do I satiate the hunger? You have to go to the fridge and you have to get the food and you have to eat the food. And this is to the point of what you're talking about yeah. is that applying the blood of Jesus is there's an endless supply. But there is an exchange over and over and over and over again where we plead the blood of Jesus over our life. We plead the blood of Jesus over our families, over our kids, over our pasts, over our futures. And we apply that blood and the effective nature of that blood today, just as effective as it was falling off the cross on Calvary more than 2,000 years ago. And so I think that's that helps me think about it is that sometimes I get hungry and I need, I have to go and get the food and apply the food to not be hungry anymore, you know? I have verses and comments. So first John, to just support everything you're saying, both of y'all. The the present tense application of the blood of Jesus has a very, very scriptural foundation. Because words matter. Uh first John one beginning in seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, does everybody think DC talk when you hear that? I wanna be try try in to be the light. As you are in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us. Not cleansed. Mm. Present tense. Cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm. The confession of the believer in Jesus is Mm -hmm. not so that you will be cleansed. Mm. You are confessing that you have been mm-hmm. cleansed. Mm-hmm. Now, when people do the thing like you're saying, like, well, if he already knows, why do you tell him? When I get into these dumb arguments, people ask me this stuff. <laughs> do you believe that some people are elect? What does it matter what I believe? It's just what the Bible says about 100 million times. Do you believe in predestination? I'm not. I, we didn't make that word up. It's just what it says. Okay. Well, if that's the case, why would you share your faith? And you can, I just go, because that's what it says. I go, do you love God? (laughs) That's it, man. Do you love God? Because you could do the same thing with your salvation. Because once you're justified, the train has left the station and it will go to glorification. So why try to be sanctified? Mm. The question is, because I love God. Do you love God? Mm -hmm. The equivalent of that would be if Gretchen came to me one day and was like, do you love me? And I was like... Were you at our wedding? <laughs> I said I do till death do I part. I've showed, you know, we ain't dead. Yeah. 
it would actually be evidence that I didn't mean any of those words right. if I didn't dode all over that girl. Mm-hmm. So these kind of stupid theobro theological doctrinal nuances of, mm. bro, do you love God? If you love God, you act like it. Mm-hmm. In regards to witnessing, in regards to confession, in regards to trying to kill sin. I mean, just yeah. straight up, do you love God? Mm. Bro, I just had the image, the uh, the movie clip talking about you looking at Gretchen going, I was at the wedding. <laughs> that movie, Four Christmases, oh. with Robert Duvall. <laughs> Vince Vaughn's like... Oh, that's what I did. <laughs> Vince Vaughn's like, you treated her like terrible. He's like, Terrible? Spoiler's what I did. Yeah, put a roof over <laughs> put her head. Put a roof over her head. <laughs> never lied, her, to, her never lied to her face. <laughs> that, that is a beautiful example uh, of trying to find some sort of theological loophole to not love God. That's exactly right. Bro. That's another thing, by the way, that when you, you talk about confessing to one another, not only is it uh, helpful to like bring it into the light and you find out you're not alone, but your brother can lend you some faith and assurance in that moment and can say, you are, yeah, it's already been forgiven. You know what I mean? Man, we were writing, I think we were writing If the Tomb is Empty, and we get to this part. Here's what a real brother does, man. And there was some, uh, I'm a pretty emotional guy, but there was like an extra amount of emotion in regards to this thing. And my brother and corner toter Charles is like just kind of just shuts the manuscript is like just I mean like a good doctor Mm -hmm. you know you go to the orthopedic he doesn't grab your good arm he just you know (laughs) he grabs the broke one and is like does that hurt and that's what Charles did he just said just grabbed it where it hurts he's like does that hurt I was like that hurts and it was just digging in Mm -hmm. man and honestly and and like, Lord, I love this guy. Would you help me have some insight? Maybe I could be a, the other half of that iron, iron sharpening iron right now. Mm-hmm. And it really was, man. It really was. Like digging down into some old stuff that mm-hmm. I just, that I'd been avoiding. Mm-hmm. And because that's, that's so much of it, man. So much of the casual Christian life is avoiding the hard work that God wants to do in your mm-hmm. life. I mean, one of the best things I ever said was at that church. It was when I was coaching weightlifting at Providence. These jokers didn't want to work out, a bunch of punk kids, you know, of which my son was one of them jokers. <laughs> and I yelled at him one day, just mad, everybody wants to be strong, nobody wants to be sore. Mm. And I mean, the Lord was like, this did not come from you. <laughs> this was from the Father. You know what I mean? I mean, seriously. Say it again. Seriously. So even even there'll be like a morning, I'll I'll just want to I I just want to skip first things first mm-hmm. and be like, I got I work here, sure that I can squeeze in my quiet time mm-hmm. in between meetings, and I'll just hear, everybody wants to be strong, nobody wants to be sore. Everybody um, wants to be healthy, nobody wants to be hungry. <laughs> Go ahead, Charles, I'm sorry. I'm going to put that in a book. I'm stealing that. I'm telling you right now. Do, yeah. do it. Coming to a book near you. Maybe two. <laughs> it can do yours and ours. <laughs> the whole time you were preaching tonight, I was thinking about chapter one of Bonhoeffer's masterpiece, Cost of Discipleship. And right out of the gate, I mean, it's early on, he talks about the difference in cheap grace and costly grace. Mm. And he says that that cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without repentance. Mm. That cheap, cheap cheap grace is the offer of baptism without church belonging or without church discipline was the way you say it in his context. It makes sense, but... 
what he's what he's getting at is that there's a cheap grace gospel that is no gospel at all. Mm-hmm. And that yes, yes, the thief thief on the cross. Yes. Remember me when you're in your kingdom, apart from works. By grace you have been saved through faith. But you've been saved into something. You've been saved for something. You've been given a new life to live that life. And that that life is one that is repentance is the primary message of Jesus. Repent. Change the way you think. And you will change the way you live. This is repentance. And... Um, and that this life, the life doesn't, you don't just repent one time, that it is a life marked mm. in repentance and constant renewing and changing of the mind. So that's why Paul said, I die daily. How did you say it tonight? You said there were three men that died oh. that day. Yeah. I, I love that. Uh, one man died in his sin, one man died for sin, and one died to sin. Mm-hmm. Amen. We uh, t- you talked a lot, Pastor Joby, about grace and how scandalous it is and how hard it is to accept. And there, you know, talking about dumb things, there can be the foolish tendency to pit grace against activity or discipline or effort. So, talk about the tension. We talked a little bit about it already. And maybe think of this quote I think it's Dallas Willard says that the gospel is not opposed to effort, it's just opposed to earning. So how how does that work together? When we talk so much about grace, how does our actions and our habits and our efforts at, at come, come into that? Dude, most of the epistles are about grace-driven effort. It's what most of the epistles are about. Like this is how you treat one another. Why? Because this is how Christ treated you. This is how this is what orderly worship looks like. Why? Because he is worthy to be worshipped. So. Yeah, grace is not anti-effort. It's just anti-earning. Hmm. All I mean, James, basically the whole book, the, the fact that people try to pit James against Paul means, what is it that you want to do that the Bible says you're not supposed to do? That's what, that's what <laughs> right. that is always, that's what that is. Let's just go ahead and skip to that part. Yeah, that's yeah, where yeah. Going it's pretty it. much theology of pants is what it almost always boils down to. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Like, You're not. You track anybody. That, the truth. The like, moment people start trying to do that thing, I'm like, okay, yeah. who is it? Yeah. Like, seriously. You want to keep your wallet in your pants so <laughs> that you hound your money or you want to take it, your man. pants off for the wrong reason? That's, that's it. So, yeah, yeah. It's Coming gr- to a book near you, right? Grace-driven effort. <laughs> Write that one down. <laughs> Theology of pants. <laughs> it's so true. It's interesting you mentioned Paul writing about grace. Grace is... 130 to 135 times, depending on the translation, verses that include the word grace, Paul wrote two-thirds of them. That's why he's known as the Apostle of Grace. Mm -hmm. And if you think about his story, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, his story parallels the thief on the cross as close to anybody, Mm -hmm. especially when you read the other synoptic gospels say that our thief— was also railing against and then had a change of heart, change of mind, repented. Dude, Paul in Acts is still breathing threats mm. with the papers to kill, with murderous thoughts. Mm. A couple chapters later, he's proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. Mm. It's because he had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. Amen. And it just, he had a change of mind. Mm. Yeah, you said he went from blaspheming to blessing. That's right. God. 
This I, uh, this picture of Paul that you just pick up on that you just stated was a, a big a big piece in the Lord delivering me from the pretty good Pharisee that I can be sometimes because I, I can be a good Pharisee. The rich young ruler asked the questions, what must I do to be saved? It's the wrong question. The right question we see, I think Romans 7, Paul says, I do all the stuff I don't want to do. I don't do the stuff I do want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's the right question because I can't. And I think he figured that out on the road to Damascus because he had the papers in his jacket pocket and he's going to kill believers of the way and he encounters the sun somewhere in the road. Mm. And I, I know we've talked about this. I can't prove it. I, I think sometime, we, and then a lot of people talked about what was Paul's thorn in the flesh. I don't know. When we get to heaven, we'll figure it out. But I think knowing his heart and knowing his understanding of grace, Paul had to stand up and preach the gospel to the children of people he had beheaded. And I think I think many I, I wonder if he didn't stand up there saying, Lord, can you bleach these memories? Because these people are orphans and I killed their folks. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that didn't play a part in his in his, in the in his in his ability to remember mm-hmm. this grace upon grace upon grace for the entirety of his ministry. And he was so ruthless. Acts says that he was he was imprisoning men and women. Right. And in an honor shame culture, women get a pass, mm. but not with him. That that I mean, the, Luke records that to so that we would know the severity of his depravity. Mm. Yeah. If you want a master class on this idea of grace and effort, I always look to Second Peter one, and he says he lays out the gospel of this excellent inheritance that we're given, and then says, "For this reason, make." every effort to supplement your faith with knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and virtue and love. And so, man, when we realize, it's like you said tonight, Pastor Jeff, when we realize how sinful we are, it does not make us more lazy or more like casual. Our, our, our realization of our sin goes simultaneous to our realization of the, of the holiness of God. So think about this. Like if you've ever hired somebody, the person that's like, oh my gosh, I don't feel like I deserve this job, mm-hmm. but I'm so grateful mm-hmm. that you would bring me on the team. Is that person motivated to work harder mm-hmm. or to be more entitled? Obviously, gratitude produces that hard work. Mm-hmm. That's the motivation of the gospel in our life to make every effort mm. because that gratitude motivates. Mm. Well, you uh, you ended with this man on the middle cross uh, illustration and and uh, I, I was a little disappointed that you didn't, you didn't attempt a Scottish accent with it. <laughs> Seamus. You, you want to... If wanna, I did, that's the only thing. That's, <laughs> that's all they would remember. That's it, yeah. which I do. If you tried I, to trill your R, that'd be the... That'd be not, I'm the worst at that too. I'll say something goofy and it'll be the only thing. Yeah. Like, what do you preach about? You know. I remember that one time you said that thing about the cat. You're like, come yeah. on, do we, are we pay attention at all? Yeah. You're after me, Lucky Charms. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody, one of the other pastors actually after service, and he was saying that he was all the whole while he was listening to your sermon, he was thinking about this other church that he had visited one time and uh, had preached there. 
and and their belief was that you had to be baptized to be saved. And he, he as he was walking out, this is Pastor Trey, and he said as he's walking out, the guy's just like, well, you know, it's we're, we're so grateful to have somebody from the Baptist church here because used to that theological difference about our belief that you got to be baptized to be saved. Uh, usually it holds people up from coming to visit. And he goes, well, just tell that to the thief on the cross. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, the guy just told him, it's like, okay, see you later. And I just walked away. Um, but Pastor Jerry closes with um, any final words about what what we might bring, thinking that there's some kind of precondition, there's some kind of thing you got to add, you know, like, I think we all do it, right? If it's merit for ourselves or expectation of somebody else, now get to work. How does this man's story, this today you'll be with me in paradise, show us that there's, it's Jesus plus nothing? Um, there, there's a lot of people that don't have what we call assurance of their salvation. Yeah. They think it's in flux. You can grieve the Holy Spirit and lose mm-hmm. your salvation. That's not what it means. To grieve the Holy Spirit would be to reject the Son. It's the only way to grieve Him. The only unforgivable sin is to die without Christ. And that can begin, that will begin to drive a workspace righteousness. So the promise of the grace of Jesus on your life, that his life, death, and resurrection will be sufficient for your salvation, drives the confidence that I have been adopted and seated at Mm -hmm. the right hand. That confidence in your salvation is what drives grace-driven effort Mm -hmm. versus trying to earn it because you're washed to and fro in your doubt, mm-hmm. am I good enough? Yeah. You're not good enough, but he has saved me. He has rescued me. Yeah. So to preach the gospel to ourselves mm. is so important because either, you know, this is the whole two-ditch thing, right? right? Either, well, I'm a pretty good get. Mm-hmm. I'm worthy of salvation. Oh, help us. Mm-hmm. Or don't screw this up because mm-hmm. I might lose mm-hmm. it. And then you just live in fear. Is it a pretty normal experience? Uh, the I experience is this. Is it pretty normal that you, that that confidence grows over time? The yes, the doubt, doubting your salvation, having been someone who doubted my salvation more times than I can count for right, years, yes. debilitating. Yes, for years. Um, it, it is so deeply connected to shame. Mm, wow. And so see previous comments about shame. You you can't believe you did what you did. You whatever it is, mm-hmm. you you just are buried under the weight of shame and therefore you do not believe the totality of the gospel. I will say this, having worked through it over many years. I mean, I I remember in my 20s I'd be out preaching. Like I'm doing like preaching tours and I would wake up in my hotel rooms m- overcome with fear mm-hmm. that I was going to fall straight into the pit of hell. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was workspace righteousness and how it manifested, mm-hmm. but it was deeply connected to, uh, you know, sins of the past. And, mm-hmm. you know, not like sins I'd done the day before, but things that happened yeah. years before, right? Um, here's what I would say, though. One of the things I learned uh was to be concerned about it is pretty good evidence mm-hmm. that the Spirit of God's in there. Yeah, because your heart hadn't been hardened. And what's really scary, Vinky, is that that kind of thought leads to activity that is rewarded at church. Mm. That's exactly right. Right. Because yeah. you're a good little boy. 
Yeah. Yeah. You just rooted in all the wrong things. You're doing a lot of hard work for all the wrong reasons Mm -hmm. and from all the wrong motivations. Mm -hmm. And there's just no freedom in it. Yeah. And and so you can't enjoy it. And it's also connected to, uh, uh, and this has gotten worse over the past recent few years, that we look to our feelings as a primary indicator of what's true about us, you know, and. I was listening. I I looked up that Alistair Begg sermon earlier, and I got down a little rabbit trail of clips of his, and he was talking about coming into church and hearing worship songs and stuff, and and he said, "Don't ask me how I feel. Tell me what I know. You know, because it doesn't matter how I feel. It's what do I know to be true about who God is, what He's done for me, and that's going to get my feelings where they need to, where they need to be." Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, you have to be born of water and spirit. Mm-hmm. Water. You got to be born in this world. In order to do that, you got to pass through some water. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Spirit. The Spirit of God indwells you, and with with the thief on the cross, you look at Jesus and you go, you're the king. Mm-hmm. That is what's necessary in order to be born again. Mm, mm. And you cannot declare Jesus king without the Spirit of God. Amen. You just cannot do it. You can declare him a king, but you will not declare him your king without the Spirit of God indwelling it, indwelling you. So, another thing you said tonight, which I wrote down, was it's, there's nothing wrong with trying to be good, but you just do it a lot better with the Holy Spirit in you. Oh, Amen. <laughs> that was so good. So, uh, Pastor, why don't you close in prayer that we would that we'd be assured, confident, and grace filled people. Uh, Father in heaven, as uh, Men who were also living a death sentence. Uh, God, I thank you that while we were dead in our own trespasses, because of your great mercy, you made us alive in Christ Jesus and gave us your spirit. Mm. And Lord, I pray for anybody listening who has trusted you with their salvation, know that I pray that they would know that nothing nothing, even themselves, could snatch them out of your hand. God, we love you. We thank you for your favor of the gospel upon us. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the podcast. (laughs) The end.